Good evening, everyone. How are you all tonight? Amen. I haven't even started preaching yet. It's already a storm. So that's preaching up a storm, isn't it? Amen. Sounds like we're getting a little boomer out there. A little bit of storm going on. Well, we welcome you tonight. Glad to have you to be with us. And we're still going to fill in for Brother Harley. If you're visiting with us online, we're glad to have you. We're going through a study on the seven feasts of the, the Jewish festivals that they celebrate. We've done three already. Tonight we're going to do number four, the Feast of Pentecost. And it's some kind, sometimes called the Feast of Weeks, but it means the same. And we'll, we'll discuss that in a moment. The Feast of Pentecost, that's what we'll look at tonight. Uh, just a few reminders. I think we're having day five this week. I spoke to Brother Jim York. He's prepared a little message for us for those of you that come to day five. We'll, we'll do that Thursday morning. And uh, I'm reminded of the, the funeral Friday, Gina Burroughs' mother. Let's remember this family in prayer tonight as we think of them and uh, all that's gone on there. I know... They're heartbroken, but they know where their mother's at. Amen? So that's the good part. We know where she's at. If you'd like, turn in your Bibles to Leviticus chapter 23. I've chosen Leviticus 23 because this chapter mentions all seven of the feast. And if you remember last week, we spoke about the Feast of First Fruits and how that... Uh, that was the third one that we celebrated or talked about that the Jews celebrate. And so we'll get in tonight's lesson here in just a moment. But before we do, let's go to the Lord in prayer. Anyone want to make mention of someone that we need to pray for? Let's continue to remember Brother Harley. And uh, I understand he's doing well, still tolerating the pain. And after he gets his uh, leg in better shape... With rehab and all, they're going to look at doing the shoulder. So that's all I know about Brother Harley. And we'll try to come see him this week. And uh, anyone else we not need to mention? Maybe somebody you know that we need to pray for? Earl Isley. You mentioned him last time, didn't you? Yeah, let's pray for him. I know he's had the leg surgery. If he's had the shoulder, I don't, I don't know about yeah, that's coming up after he gets the rehab done on the leg is the way I understand it. Yeah. He, they going to be a couple of weeks on this. That was pretty major. And uh, Brother Kenneth had a little surgery this week and is doing quite well this past week. He's doing good, so let's continue to remember him and thank the Lord for a quick recovery. And he also has a friend that has stage 4 cancer, Devon, if I remember his name correctly. Devon Lemons, let's remember him, stage 4 cancer. We want to pray for him as well. All righty. Okay, let's go to the Lord in prayer. And how about our missionaries? Everybody better? Great. Thank you. Let's pray for those that are over there. I believe she said India, correct? Yes, let's remember them. Thank the Lord for their recovery. They were dealing with some sickness there. All right. Well, let's go to the Lord in prayer and get our, get our mind on the Word of God tonight. Let's pray. Father, we come to you tonight. We thank you for your blessings. Thank you for the rain, Lord. We thank you for allowing us to be here tonight to study your Word. We pray, Father, you'll speak to our hearts through your Word, and we'll understand it, and we'll hide it in our heart. Lord, help us as we look into your word. May we rightly divide it. Father, we pray for those we've mentioned that need your touch. Uh, Father, we think of Harley, all of those on our Wednesday night prayer list that are facing surgeries. And we thank you, Lord, for your quick healing and your blessings that you'll touch and heal, Lord. We pray, dear God, for those fighting cancer. We think of all those, Lord, on our list that need your touch. We pray that you'll give the doctors wisdom 
as they treat our loved ones as they face the battle of cancer in our church, our loved ones. And Lord, we just ask your hand to be upon them. Give the doctors wisdom and may they have a speedy recovery. We, we thank you, Lord, that Roger is better and doing better. And we pray for Cynthia, Lord, that you'll touch her and strengthen her. And the one Brother Kenneth has mentioned and the one Brother Ray has mentioned. Father, we lift them up to you tonight. We praise you, Lord, that you're the God of all comfort, the God of all tender mercies, and you can touch and you can heal. So, Father, we lift them up to you. We ask you, Lord, to have your way tonight. Lead and guide and direct us. Use us for your glory, and we ask it in Christ's name. Amen. Amen. All right, ladies and gentlemen, if you... Remember with me last week, we spoke on the Feast of First Fruits. That was a celebration held at harvest time, a feast that took place after Israel had gotten into the promised land. You know, they'd gone through the wilderness, and Moses had given them instructions on these feasts, but the Feast of First Fruits was done after they had gotten into the promised land, and they were to offer up uh, the first fruits that had ripened at that time was barley. They had offered up the very first handfuls to the priest to do a wave offering to the Lord. It was to thank God for his blessings, and it was to ask God's blessings on the harvest, that it would be a bountiful harvest, and there would be a plentiful harvest for them to live off of. And this... Feast of First Fruits was done on the, on the morrow after the Sabbath. That would be the first day of the week for you and for me. That would be on a Sunday, the first day of the week, on the morrow after the Sabbath. And that's important to us because we remember that the Lord Jesus Christ rose from the tomb on the first day of the week. Amen. Mary came to the tomb to wrap the Lord with spices and... She came there during the dawn of the morning on the first day of the week and she met the angels and they said, Why seek ye the living among the dead? And so he had rose from the dead on the first day of the week. And we know that Paul tells us in 1 Corinthians 15, chapter 20, chapter 15, verse 20, says that Christ is now risen from the dead. And become the first fruits of them that sleep. Paul the Apostle and the Holy Spirit, God in his writings, tells us that Christ is the first fruits of them that sleep. So that's a picture for you and I that Christ rose from the grave, and because he lives, you and I will live, believers in him. Jesus said, If you believe in me, you shall never die. He says, uh, if 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 you Put your faith and your trust in me. You will never die. You'll just leave out of this body and go into his presence. Amen. He's, he's made a, a way for us to have eternal life through him. His finished work on that cross. And, and symbolically, that's what the Feast of First Fruits represents to us. It's that he rose from the dead and came out of that grave. Verse 23 of 1 Corinthians 15 tells us, But every man in his own order, Christ the first fruits, and afterwards they that are Christ at his coming. So you and I, on that day when the God calls us out of here in the rapture, if we happen to be sleeping in the grave, our bodies will be resurrected just like Christ was resurrected with a new glorified body. I'm looking forward to that new glorified body, aren't you? Mine is getting wore out. And I'm looking forward to that day when I will see him as he is and I'll be like him. John tells us as, that we shall be like him and we shall see him as he is. So that day's coming and we're looking forward to it. As we move on into today's lesson, we see the Feast of Pentecost. And it's also called the Feast of First Fruits. And the Jew, to the Jew, this celebration is known as the Shavat. Now, I hope I'm saying that correctly. That's the Hebrew word for the Feast of Weeks. 
And we'll see here in a minute that it's seven weeks plus a day makes 50. We'll see this here in our scripture in a moment. But Pentecost in the Greek means 50. And as we look at our scriptures today, we'll see how it comes about to be named the Feast of Weeks. If you're with me there in the book of Leviticus, let's look in in verse 15 and read down through verse 17. Are you with me there in Leviticus? And ye shall count unto you from the morrow after the Sabbath. Now we remember we just celebrated the Feast of First Fruits. These are all tied together somewhat. And on that morrow after the Sabbath, from the day that you brought the sheath of the wave offering, seven Sabbaths shall be completed. That's seven complete weeks. Seven weeks shall pass. Even unto the morrow after the seventh Sabbath shall you number 50 days. You see that there in verse 16? So this is how we get the number 50. There's seven sevens, makes 49 days. And then the day after, the first day of the week, again, I remind you, the first day after the Sabbath is the Lord's Day, and it numbers 50 days. And ye shall offer a new meat offering unto the Lord. Here we see a new offering. It's something new. And God's pointing out that something new is about to happen. Not during this time of the Jewish travels in the promised land, but as we get into the New Testament, the Holy Spirit will explain it to us here in just a moment. I'm going to show you. But there's a new meat offering. Notice verse 17. Ye shall bring out of your habitations two, I want you to notice that, two wave loaves of two-tenths deal, and they shall be of fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. They are the first fruits unto the Lord. Here we see something a little unusual. The first fruits offering was a sheath, a wave offering, and it was waved before the Lord. Here the Lord says, bring two loaves, two loaves of bread, and it's baked with leaven. Now, y'all remember what we discussed about leaven? Leaven is a symbol of evil. You remember? The New Testament teaches us, Paul taught us in 1 Corinthians chapter 5, that leaven was symbolic of evil. He told the church at Corinth, to purge out the evil in the church. And he said a little leaven will leaven the whole lump. It will mess up the church. If you don't get the sin out of the church, Corinthians, you're going to ruin your church. And uh, we remember that there was a man there that was committing incest. 1 Corinthians chapter 5. And Paul said to purge out the leaven, making it a symbol of evil. Here we see that there's two loaves that are to be made, to be weighed before the Lord, and they are to be baked with leaven. This is a little unusual because this is the only feast, the only time that leaven is used in one of these feasts. All the others are used unleavened bread. So I want you to think about that. So this Feast of Pentecost occurred 50 days after the First Fruits Festival was celebrated and the end of the grain harvest had come and they're showing gratitude to God for the harvest. Now remember, when they celebrated the First Fruits, they expected a bountiful harvest. They expected God to bless. They expected God to give them a good harvest so they would have plenty to live on. The Feast of Pentecost always fell on the first day of the week. Seven Sabbaths were counted, 49 days, and then one day left was the first day of the week, made the 50 days. And there are three solemn feasts that the Bible teaches us about that all the males were required to attend. The Passover, we talked about. The, here, the Feast of Weeks, and the Feast of Tabernacles. 
all the Jewish males were required to travel to Jerusalem and to attend these feasts and offer up sacrifices at the temple. The first fruits offering was expressing thankfulness and thanksgiving to God for a fruitful harvest. And to the Jew, this, again, I try to say it, Shavat. That's the name they call this Feast of Pentecost. And I'm going to give us just a little refresher course here about these events that have happened. We remember the Passover. The blood was shed on the doorpost. The sinless Lamb of God, the Lord Jesus, is our Lamb of God. He is our Passover. John the Baptist said, Behold the Lamb of God, which takes away the sin of the world. And we looked at the unleavened bread. Again, leaven meaning something evil. Unleavened bread was to be abstained from sin. Christ is the sinless Son of God, the spotless one. You and I, when we walk in fellowship with Christ, we avoid sin as best we can. We try to live a holy life. Will we make a mistake? Yes, we're still in this sin-cursed body, but we're to strive to walk holy as He is holy. Walk in the light as He is in the light. And if we sin, and 1 John tells us we will, if we say we have no sin, we lie, and the truth is not in us. But if we sin, there's 1 John 1, 9. I love that verse, don't you? The blood still cleanses if we sin. 1 John 1, 9. If we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us of our sin and to cleanse us from all unrighteousness. That's the wonderful thing about the unleavened bread. It represents how the blood cleanses and keeps on cleansing. It keeps on cleansing. Jesus told the disciples when he washed their feet that you need your daily cleansing. Not to be saved day after day, but if you sin, you need a daily cleansing. That simply means we come to him and we confess and he forgives. Amen? To walk in fellowship. You know, that fellowship can be broken if we deliberately walk in sin. But it can be restored. That's the blessings of that first uh, unleavened bread festival. It's the fellowship with our Savior. And then again, the first fruits, giving thanks for the blessings, for the future harvest. And we discovered in the New Testament that Jesus Christ is the first fruits of them that slept. And that's what the celebration means in the New Testament, the celebration of first fruits. But as we get into today, and look at this one right here. The Feast of Weeks. We, we want to learn something here from our New Testament. And uh, they are, I want you to notice these two things as we look in the New Testament. But notice these two thing, these things right here. It was a new offering. It was a new grain offering. It was two loaves of bread. It was baked with leavened bread. And notice God is painting us a picture here. We see many portraits in the Old Testament of Christ, don't we? And this is another portrait that God is painting for us in the Old Testament here. He's painting us a prophetic picture. Now we're going to look in the New Testament and the Holy Spirit is going to teach us what Pentecost means. If you will, and you like to, you can look in the book of Acts. I'm going to read a verse or two there. But the Holy Spirit, the author of the Bible, he's our teacher, isn't he? He teaches us the Word of God. And he teaches us what these things mean, if we'll just understand them spiritually. In Acts chapter 2, verse 1, the Bible teaches us. This is the Holy Spirit, the author, telling us. And when the day of Pentecost was fully come. What day was that? That was the 50th day. We know that Christ, after the resurrection, he was on the earth for 40 days. We see that in Acts chapter 1. He was on the earth for 40 days, and he spent time with the disciples, instructing them, teaching them. But he told them to go and wait in Jerusalem. Go to that upper room. He says, wait for the promise of the Holy Spirit to come. 
And in Acts chapter 2, we see that they were all in one accord. When the day of Pentecost was fully come, ten days later after Christ had ascended, ten days later, they're in the upper room. Look at Acts chapter 2. Pentecost had fully come, meaning it was on the 50th day after the resurrection. And so Acts chapter 2, verse 4 says, And they were all filled with the Holy Ghost on the day of Pentecost. And we know what happened, don't we? They were all in the upper room in one accord, and the promise of the Holy Spirit was given. The Holy Ghost came and filled the house, filled the room there, filled those with the Holy Spirit. And we know the story. They all began to speak in tongues. And about 17 or 19 different language people were there, and they all heard the gospel in their own language. I don't have time to go into all of that, but you can, you can read Acts chapter 2 and get this story. But the point here is Pentecost had fully come, and the Holy Spirit came on the day of Pentecost, just as God had promised. On the day of Pentecost, or the Feast of Weeks, whichever you'd like to call it, the first fruits of the church were born. The church was born. What happened on that day? Peter, filled with the Spirit, got up and preached, and 3,000 souls were saved. You remember that? The church was born on the day of Pentecost. And so this is the promise here. The Holy Spirit is teaching us that something new would happen. Something new happened. The church was born. And on the day of Pentecost, Peter stood up and preached, and 3,000 souls trusted Christ as their Savior. Peter was empowered by the Holy Spirit, and the promise was delivered. The Holy Spirit came and filled the church members, and the first fruits of God's spiritual harvest under a new covenant was happening. This is something new that took place. The new covenant, they were not under grace anymore. They were under the age, not under law anymore. They were under grace now. I didn't mean to mess that up, but the Jews were under the law for many, many years, but now something new has happened. They're under grace. And uh, the church was born. 3,000 souls came into the body of Christ. And today, even today, this harvest continues. This harvest of first fruits of God's spiritual harvest. The church being born. The Holy Spirit came and indwelt the believer. Before in the Old Testament, the Holy Spirit would come on believers and would leave. Think of Samson. He had his strength when the Holy Spirit came on him. But in the New Testament... In the church, Holy Spirit comes into the believer. Into the believer. Never to leave you nor forsake you. Amen. We are the temple of God. The Holy Spirit indwells the believer. This was a promise that God gave. The church was born. 3,000 people were saved. The first fruits of God's spiritual harvest. I need to mash the button before I tell all about it, don't I? And the church age began, and it continues today. The church age continues today. People are being saved today. And this is the power of the Holy Spirit working in the lives of believers. And so that's what the Holy Spirit teaches us that Pentecost meant for the New Testament. And this was fulfilled. Christ promised Jesus died on the cross at Passover. He rose from the dead on the Feast of First Fruits on the first day of the week. Fifty days after the resurrection, on the first day of the week, the church is born. That's why we celebrate and worship the Lord on the first day of the week. We're not coming to church on Saturday on the Sabbath like the Jews did or to their synagogue. We come on the first day of the week because he rose from the dead. And the church was born on the first day of the week. So that's why we celebrate.
on the first day of the week. And let's talk about this promise that God made, the promise of the Holy Spirit. Jesus told his disciples in John chapter 14, verses 16 through 17, he told them, he says, uh, I'm going to send you another comforter. It's expedient for you that I go away. And if I go away, the comforter will come. This comforter will come and he will be with you. And he will be in you. He will indwell the believer. Christ living down here on this earth could only be in that one place at one time. The Holy Spirit can be with all of us, in all of us, anywhere we go. He's with us, never to leave us nor forsake us. And Jesus promised this to the disciples, and that's what happened on Pentecost. He came. He came right on time, on the 50th day. 1 Corinthians 3.16 tells us, As ye are the temple of God, the Spirit of God dwelleth in you. That's a good thing to know, isn't it? God has promised never to leave us nor forsake us. He dwells within the believer. This is the new thing, the mystery that Paul talked about. The Old Testament weren't aware of the church, but the mystery that Paul told us that God came to indwell the believers and the church was born. Why the two loaves for the offering? You remember back in verse 17? Ye shall bring out of your habitation two wave loaves of two tenths deal. They shall be of a fine flour, and they shall be baked with leaven. Again, this is the only feast that allowed leaven to be in the bread. All the other feasts, they used unleavened bread. Well, now, you've got to trust me on this. I've read up on this, and scholars teach that the spiritual significance of this two, of this leavened bread is that, well, let's back up. What's the two loaves mean? The two loaves represent the Jew and the Gentile coming together in the body of Christ. The church. The church came together and now we're all one in Christ, in the body of Christ. It doesn't matter if you're Jew or Greek or Gentile, bond or free. If you're in Christ, you're in Christ. You're in the body. And we're all one in Christ. I want you to turn with me uh, over into the book of Ephesians. It kind of gives us some light on this subject. Paul writing again to the Ephesians, over in the Ephesians chapter 2. I want you to look there with me in verse 11. The two loaves of bread represent the Jew and the Gentiles, what scholars teach me. And if they're wrong, I'm going to go with what they're saying. I don't think they're wrong. I think it makes sense. The two loaves represent the Jew and the Gentile. And Paul explains it here in Ephesians chapter 2. And I want you to read with me in verse 11. This is a little lengthy, but it's, we got plenty of time. Last week I got through in 10 minutes, so this week I've got time. Amen. Notice verse 11. He says, now Paul writing, he says, Wherefore remember that ye, being in times past Gentiles in the flesh who are called uncircumcision by that which is called the circumcision in the flesh made by hands. Well, what Paul's saying right here is, you Gentiles were called uncircumcised. That's because the Jews had the covenant of being circumcised, and they were called the circumcision. So what Paul is saying right here, you Jews in the uh, past, or you Gentiles in the past, I'll get it right, you Gentiles in the past, in the flesh, were uncircumcised. And that's what the, the circumcision called you. You old uncircumcised person. Notice verse 12, that at that time you were without Christ, being aliens from the commonwealth of Israel, strangers from the covenants of promise, having no hope and without God in the world. 
we Gentiles were without hope. We were without the covenants that God made with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. We were outside of the Jewish chosen people. We were Gentiles. We were uncircumcised. And we were, if you will, away from Christ. We did not have Christ. We didn't have access to God. And he says here in verse 13, But now in Christ Jesus, ye who were sometimes were afar off are made nigh by the blood of Christ. Thank God our Lord and Savior made a way for you and me. He made a way for us as well as the Jew. He says in verse 14, For he is our peace who hath made both one, the Jew and the Gentile. We're both one now in Christ, in the body, and hath broken down the middle wall of petition between us. Thank God he did. He made a way of salvation for the Gentile as well as the Jew. Notice he says in verse 15, having abolished in his flesh the enmity, even the law of commandments contained in ordinance, for to make in himself the twain one new man, so making peace. You and I, the Jew, whoever trusts Christ, whoever puts their faith and trust in Jesus and is born again, we've made, we're made one in Christ, the church, the body of believers. So you and I, we have access to God. That petition has been torn down. And we have we can have peace with God. Verse 16, And that he might reconcile both unto God in one body by the cross, having slain the enmity thereof. Isn't that wonderful? We're in the body of Christ because of the cross. Hallelujah. Verse 17, And came and preached peace to you which were afar off to them that were nigh. You and I, folks, have brought in, been brought into the family. Israel is God's chosen, God's elect. In that Old Testament, they were his people, and they still are. I'm not saying they're not, but you and I, we have been brought into the family too by the cross, by the shed blood of Christ. By us putting our faith and our trust in Christ, we're in that body as well. So the scholars tell me that these two loaves represent the Jew and the Gentile being brought together in as one in Christ in the church. And we just read that Ephesians there, and I hope that helped explain some of it to you. Did I go down to verse 18? For through him we both have access by one spirit unto the Father. Hallelujah. I can come to the Father. You can come to the Father. The veil in the temple was rent from top to bottom. When he was crucified on that cross, you and I have access to the Holy of Holies, the Holy Father. You and I can come into his presence. We have that access because of what Jesus has done. But now what about this here leaven in the bread? Well, we've learned that leaven represents evil, represents sin. 1 Corinthians 5, there was leaven in the church. Paul said to purge it out, to get it out. We saw also last week that Jesus spoke of the leaven of the Pharisees and the scribes, their hypocrisy and their teaching. He called that leaven. He called that evil. The leaven in this bread that is made in this offering right here represents you and me that there's still sin in the body of Christ. Will you and all you and I admit that we are sinners saved by the grace of God? That there's still sin in the church? There's still we are all still in this sinful flesh. None of us are walking on water yet. Amen. We all make mistakes. We all sin. We all stub our toe in life's way. We all mess up 
Praise God for First John 1, 9 again. If we say, if we confess our sins, he's faithful and just to forgive us. John also told us if we say we have no sin, we lie and the truth's not in us. So the scholars teach me that the leaven in this offering represents that there's still sin in the body of Christ in the church. And it will be until the rapture, until you and I are given our new glorified body. So that makes sense to me. Does it, does it sound good to you that there's still sin in the church? We're still under the curse of sin. That hasn't been lifted yet, has it? One day, though, when the rapture takes place, when the dead in Christ shall rise, and when we which are alive and remain shall be caught up to meet the Lord in the air, bam, in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye, 1 Corinthians 15, we're going to be changed. This corruption's going to put on incorruption. This mortal's going to put on immortality. We're going to be changed in a moment, in the twinkling of an eye. That's when we'll lay down this sinful nature for good amen we don't have to yield to it but do we be honest we do we yield to that sinful nature sin is still in the church it's what they tell me and i have to go along with it jesus said that he will separate the wheat from the tares you know you you hear people say all the time i don't want to go down there to that church there's hypocrites down there well there's hypocrites everywhere <laughs> amen there's hypocrites in everything. But don't let a hypocrite keep you out of heaven. Amen. Come on down here to church and be with the Lord's people. And don't worry about the hypocrites. God will take care of the hypocrite. Yes, sir. <laughs> well, the church is for the... The, the church is for people that are sin sick and need a Savior, aren't they? No. <laughs> Amen. Well, we all can walk a little better holy life if we can, can't we? We all should strive to anyway. But let's think about that there. The leaven in the bread speaks of evil, and the scholars teach me that it's speaking about evil still in the church. And the two loaves represent the body of Christ the Jew and the Gentile being brought together and we just saw that in Ephesians does that make sense to y'all does that sound good uh, I don't want you to think I just made this stuff up now <laughs> anyway let's move on here let's go back to verses 18 through 20 in Leviticus I want to show you something about these offerings here back in your book Leviticus chapter 23 let's go back to verse 18 we haven't read that yet it says, And ye shall offer with the bread seven lambs without blemish of the first year, and one young bullock and two rams. Then shall they shall be for a burnt offering unto the Lord with their meat offerings and their drink offering, even an offering made by fire of sweet savor unto the Lord. Notice this verse right here now. This is important. Then you shall sacrifice one kid of the goats for a sin offering and two lambs of the first year for a sacrifice of a peace offering. I want to stop right there, but let's read 20. And the priest shall wave them with the bread, the two loaves of the first fruits of the wave offering before the Lord, with the two lambs, and they shall be holy to the Lord for the priest. All of these offerings are offered at this time right here. I want you to underline a sin offering and a peace offering. These offerings represent all that Christ has done for you and me. All that Christ has done for the church. All that Christ did for the Jew. All that Christ has done in his sacrifice on that cross. All that he has done for the church, that sin offering. We have salvation because he paid our sin debt, don't we? That sin offering. He died on that cross and he, he took my sin with him. 
My sins were nailed to that cross, and he gave me his righteousness. What a trade. Amen. Hallelujah. We can't beat that trade. He took my sin and gave me his righteousness. And that peace offering, that peace offering, you and I have peace with God all because of Jesus. And we can have the peace of God all because of Jesus. All that he's done for you and for me, he's there ready for you and me to give us mercy in our time of need, to give us sympathy in our time of need, to give us comfort in our time of need. All of life's situations, we can come to our Savior. We can come to Him. He did all that for you, and He did all that for me. And these offerings right here represent Him. That sin offering, that peace offering, all of this was acceptable to a holy God. It was acceptable to Him because it satisfied a holy God. And what Jesus did for you and what Jesus did for me on that cross, it satisfied a holy God. The blood atonement was made for you and for me. And we can have peace with God and we can have the peace of God. And you see that in these offerings here. You see that the Jews did these offerings and it was a sweet savor unto the Lord. It was a pleasant aroma to God because of what it represented. It represented his dear son, what he went through for you and for me. In the New Testament, it's all been made known to us. We, it's, we've been given that light. We, we see now what all of this meant back then, these feasts. So this feast right here, this Feast of Weeks, the church was born, and this new thing that happened, the two wave loaves made with leaven, which represented evil, and the sin offering and the peace offering made for you and made for me. Now I want you to notice one more thing before we close. Let's look at verse 21. And ye shall proclaim on the selfsame day that it may be holy, a holy convocation unto you. Ye shall do no several work therein. It shall be a statute forever, and all your dwellings throughout your generation. I want you to notice, each time we've looked at these feasts that they celebrated, they were told to do no several work. No work. They were to rest on these Sabbath days. For you and for me, what does that mean? It means you and I don't have to work for our salvation. Jesus paid it all. Jesus paid it all. He done the work. You and I don't have to earn our salvation. It's a free gift. There are people today going out here, running up and down the streets, knocking on doors, trying to work their way to heaven. There's people doing this and doing that, good deeds, giving this money, giving that money, uh, saying so many prayers, counting so many beads. You know what I'm talking about. They're working their way to heaven when it's a free gift. <laughs> it's done. It's a done deal. Jesus paid it all. Titus, the Paul writes to Timothy and to Titus, and he tells us in Titus, says, not by works of righteousness which we have done, but according to his mercy he saves us. It's the mercy of God. You and I don't have to earn our salvation. Jesus said, tell a test on the cross, it is finished. That means there's nothing else to be added to it. He did it all. He paid it all. You can't add to it, and you can't take away from it. That's an insult to God. He sent his dearly beloved son to pay the price for you and for me, and we can't add to the works of God. We can't add to the work of Christ on that cross. If you think you can, you're just throwing insults at what God said was finished. He paid it all. I want you to turn with me now in your Bibles over to the book of Hebrews because... We have a rest that we're to enter into. And it's a rest when you enter in when you are saved. When you have 
trusted Christ, you're born again, and you're in Christ, you enter into that rest. You don't have to work to be saved. He did all the work. You do all the receiving. You trust Christ and you receive that free gift of salvation. Notice with me, if you will, if you're there in your book of Hebrews, chapter 4, and it's lengthy, but we have time. I'm going to read it. This chapter is of speaking of the rest that we enter into as believers. Uh, we don't know who the writer of Hebrews is, but I believe it's the Apostle Paul. Now, you can believe who you like, so I'm going to believe who I like. If y'all don't mind, I believe it's Pat, the Apostle Paul. <laughs> I can't prove it, but I believe it. It says, Let us therefore fear lest a promise being left us of entering into his rest, any of you should seem to come short of it. Be careful. Don't miss this. Don't come short of entering into that rest. For unto us which was... Unto us was the gospel preached as well as unto them. I'm thinking he's talking about the Jew there. And the gospel was preached as well as unto them, but the word preached did not profit them, not being mixed with faith in them that heard it. For we which have believed do enter in into the rest, as he said. As I have sworn in my wrath, if they shall enter into my wrath, although the works were finished from the foundation of the world. For he spake in a certain place of the seventh day on this wise. And here's a, a quote from God in Genesis. And God did rest the seventh day from all his works. When God created the wor world, the heavens and the earth, on the Sabbath day, he rested. And we know about that. And in this place again, if they shall enter into my rest, Psalm 95, 11, seeing therefore it remaineth that some must enter therein, and they do to whom it was first preached, entered not in because of unbelief. Again, he limited a certain day, saying in David today after so long of time as it is said one of the psalms again psalm 95 today if you will hear his voice harden not your hearts for if Jesus had given them rest then would he not afterward have spoken of another day there remaineth therefore he's here's the three verses I want you to key in on there remaineth therefore a rest to the people of God for he that has entered into his rest, he also hath ceased from his own works, as God did from his. Let us labor, therefore, to enter into that rest, lest any man fall after the same example of unbelief. When you put your faith and your trust in Christ, you don't have to go out and work for a salvation. He paid it all. He's done it all. He's paid it all, and you can rest. You don't have to go out and ride a bicycle and knock on doors just to get to heaven. You don't have to do this or do that. Uh, it's a free gift. Romans 3, 23. For the wages of sin is death, but the gift of God is salvation through Jesus Christ our Lord. Is that what it says? Is that what it teaches us? Absolutely. All of us have sinned and come short of the glory of God. But that free gift is salvation. He's, he's, he's did all the work. I'm going to finish up in this last verse right here. I'll let you go. Notice this last verse, verse 22. And again, we're back here in the Jewish festival of weeks. And then what it means in the New Testament. And when you reap the harvest of your land, thou shalt not make glean riddance of the corners of thy field when thou readest, reapest neither shalt thou gather all gleanings of thy harvest thou shalt leave them unto the poor and to the stranger I am the Lord your God when they were to harvest the field they were to leave part of it 
they were to leave the corners for who? The stranger and the needy, the poor. And again, if you move that into the New Testament, that's a picture of the church helping the needy world, taking the gospel to the world. You and I as believers in Christ, we're to carry the gospel to a world that needs Jesus. And a lot of times you're not going to get to someone's heart unless you make sure he's got a full tummy, right? <laughs> it helps for them to listen if they're not standing there starving to death. There's a lot of needy people in the world, and there's a lot of people that need to hear the gospel. A lot of people that need to hear the gospel. I wrote that last thing on there because uh, God ended that verse there, and he says, I am the Lord your God. If he's your Lord and your God, we should obey his commands, shouldn't he? We should try to get help to the needy. We should try to get the gospel to the world. That's our, our duty as Christians. That's our duty as believers. We should try to help the poor and the stranger. Again, in the New Testament, that's a picture of the church. That's a picture of the body of Christ that was born on the day of Pentecost. Fifty days after the resurrection. And that's what the Holy Spirit teaches us in the New Testament. With that, I shall close. Any thoughts, any comments, any questions I might be able to answer? All righty. Well, good to have your attention for this long. I didn't get through as quick as I did last week, did I? <laughs> well, amen. Y'all have a safe time going home. Don't be out there and slipping in a slide. Amen. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your blessings. We thank you for your word. We thank you for your love and your grace and your mercy. And Father, we pray, dear God, that you'll take these words and apply them to our heart and help us to understand. Thank you for your word. And as we leave tonight, Lord, we pray your hand of mercy will be upon us and keep us all safe, Lord, till we meet back here again. We ask in Jesus' name. Amen. Thank you, folks. God bless you.